0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, buried in a field, that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down and gathered the good fish into containers but through the worthless ones, but throughout the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: Well, it's good to see you all this evening. if you are a first time guest, my name is Jamal and I am one of the pastors here. We are thrilled that you would spend this evening with us and we pray that a song would be sung or a word spoken uh, which will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you all, but I've had a, a wonderful, uh, fun, worshipful time uh, so far. How about you? All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and uh, dive into uh, tonight's sermon, and we're going to open up with a word of prayer. But before we do, didn't see you there, Dustin. We got a good pastor friend who came from Sojourn here uh, with us today, as well as Pastor Nate Bishop, who is from Forest Baptist. So we salute you all in the name of Jesus. Hey, let's pray it up, and let's dive into the word. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to to be before you, uh, to be seen by you, to be loved by you, to be known by you. Um, and to to experience you with the fellowship of other believers. I pray, Father God, that you uh, tonight at 6 o'clock service, at this p.m. service, that you will meet us here. I pray, Father God, that your spirit would just manifest himself here in a way that brings joy and, and peace and conviction and comfort. Lord, your sheep know your voice. and a stranger, they will not follow. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening in the matchless, victorious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We do pray. And the church said, amen. 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 Hey, so I want you to imagine that you have entered into uh, uh, the sanctuary today kind of with a clean slate. And by clean slate, uh, imagine that you have uh, never heard of the name of Jesus. Imagine that you've never heard of his teachings. Imagine that you've uh, never heard of his kingdom. And that the reason that you've come into the sanctuary tonight is because you've met a group of friends whose lives just look radically different than yours. And you recognize this even in, in the way that they talk. So for example, when you talk and the way you think, you're kind of, as we all are, a collection of of different ideas that we've kind of just uh, come to possess over time. And so some of those mantras or or some of the the codes or or the way of living that you have come into is just simple things like, hey, look out for yourself first. If if you don't look out for yourself, nobody's going to look out for you. Or or, uh, a philosophy that says, YOLO, you only live once. And so I want you to imagine imagine that you've been spending time with a group of friends, and that's not their mantra. That's not the way that they've been living. They've been living with with some other codes. Uh, they've, They've been saying things that seem interesting and peculiar, like, you know, God will work everything for good, even when evil is done for you, or you can only experience life through death or things like the road to true riches is found not by hoarding but by giving giving what you have away or things like the first shall be last and the the last shall be first Imagine being around a, a group of people who, who not only say these things, but who lives seem upside down. The things that they value seems upside down. They have more joy than, than you ever had. But yet they're, they seem to be in a perpetual state of, of mourning, a perpetual state of, of poverty of spirit. They have a hunger and thirst for things that, that aren't which you have a hunger and thirst for. Well, that's similar to what's happening here in, in Matthew chapter 13. The Bible uh, told us that Jesus has been talking to a crowd of people. And, and in the midst of that crowd of people, there are, are some who he has now identified as disciples, as those who are, are committed followers of his and people have traveled from large distances to hear this, this Jesus of Nazareth preach as he has heard that his disciples are, are, are living a, a different way and that the reason that they're living a different way is it seems that they, they are, are treasuring different things. And in today's text, we're going to continue to learn some of those things that they are treasuring and some of the things that Jesus was teaching them to treasure. As Jesus in today's text is going to encourage us to reconsider what we, cher- what we treasure, to reconsider what we, what we cherish, to, to reconsider what we have oriented our lives around and to consider treasuring his kingdom and him. As king, And to help us to do this and to help his cross to do this, Jesus was speaking in what is known as parables. And we talked about how parables is a almost a, a genre of, of speech. It's a it's wise sayings that uses story similes and metaphors to make a, a big point that is seldom found on the surface. And so in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a a string of seven parables, as Matthew puts before the people. And he is grouping these parables together in themes. And today we're going to see a a theme, a theme about his kingdom, as he wants those who are hearing to, to understand it more. And Jesus is inviting you today to seek his kingdom and to cherish it above all else to reimagine and to, re, to reorient your life around him and his kingdom. And we hear this Sunday after Sunday, and most of us are here because we want to be better disciples. We, we want to be faithful to his kingdom. We want to be faithful to King Jesus. We want to learn about him. We want to grow in him. We want to, to please him. But something something just seems to happen from, from, from uh, Monday to Saturday. The, the, the things of this world seem to just kind of slowly choke out the seeds that we receive on Sunday. The, the worries, the, the, the cares, the, the, the pressure of work, the pressure of family, the, the pressure of life begin to to choke out what we know about this kingdom. And we find ourselves week in and and week out distracted from from King Jesus. And Jesus today wants to to give us an invitation, a picture of his kingdom that brings clarity. And one of the things we want to notice with these uh, three snapshots, these three short uh, stories or short parables is that in two of them, his emphasis is on the hiddenness of the kingdom. Uh, Jesus is going to let us know that in order for us to truly understand the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand that it is hidden, that not everyone is going to see the kingdom for what it is. And not everyone is going to be, able to, have to be able to have a kingdom revelation that will lead to life. Look at your text in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So we see a treasure that is buried in the field. And we see a merchant that is going pearl shopping. And we know that pearls are essentially found in fossils. So the kingdom of heaven is described as, as something that is hidden. And it's something that is priceless, something that is priceless. And Jesus' point is, is that those who find the kingdom are those who have received the grace of God. And not only is it those who have received the grace of God, but it's those who, after receiving the grace of God, they continue to cry out for, for more revelation with God's kingdom. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, the writer writes this, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Today's text, Jesus is continuing to encourage his disciples to see the kingdom of heaven as their greatest treasure, and he tells these parables of of men. The first parable, we don't know much about the man who finds this treasure that is buried in the field. And this would not have been odd to Jesus' listeners, by the way. Uh, In the first century, uh, uh, people hid things in the field quite often. In fact, they would hide things in the field if, uh, if it was extremely valuable for the fear of losing it, if someone was to break into their property. Uh, if there was war rumors or rumors of, of people coming to ransack a community, people would hide their treasures in the field once again in case they have to escape. They can come back and they'll find their greatest treasure. So Jesus says, imagine that this man, he is, finds his treasure in the field. And, and after finding this treasure, He goes and he sells everything that he has after rebearing the treasure so that the treasure will be his. The first thing we want to see in this text is that Jesus is is telling us that the kingdom of heaven's value, it is priceless. It is priceless. It is immeasurable. It is immeasurable. This man has found a precious treasure, and what he does, he assesses the situation with his head. He looks at this treasure that's before him. He counts the cost of everything that he has owned, things that would have been dear to him, that would have been close to him, uh, uh, things that he would have grown up with, things that would have been artifacts and possibly important to him and his family. He finds this one treasure, and he says, you know what? Compared to this treasure that I have found, this treasure these things are, are not worth it. And so after assessing it with his head, his heart is moved to count or consider this treasure that he found in the field as invaluable. And after his heart is moved, his hands is moved. He goes and he sells everything that he has. And then he tells a similar story. but This time it's of a merchant who is in search for a a fine pearl. And when he finds this fine pearl, he does the same thing that this other man does. He goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can possess this fine pearl. Both of these objects are costly. They're not free. They're not cheap. They're treasures. And both these men have found it, though they have found it in different ways. One stumbled upon it, the other was searching for it. But both of them finding it and what they found, they found it by by the grace of God. In the same way, in this sanctuary today, there are uh, uh, two types of Christians. Christians who stumbled upon the kingdom of God and Christians who were searching for the kingdom of God. And here's what I mean. The Bible tells us that none of us on our own will search for the kingdom of heaven. None of us pursue God in our own strength. But, but, but some of us, when we came to Jesus, it was because we were at a, a low. It was because we recognized that we were missing something very important. There was a higher purpose, a higher calling. And we might have sought purpose in a, a different philosophy, a different religion, or a different God. But one day in our searching, in our looking, in our brokenness, Jesus uh, appeared to us. Maybe it was through preaching. Maybe it was through a, a parent. Maybe it was through hearing a sermon on the television. But all of a sudden, Jesus became our greatest treasures. And other of us, we wasn't looking for Jesus. You know, we came to church because that that girl was there or that guy was there. We came to church because a neighbor kept bothering us. Or we came to know Jesus because someone kept talking about him even when we weren't interested in him. And then all of a sudden, a whether you stumbled on the kingdom or, or whether you were searching for it, the Bible says that we all are the same. That even though we found Jesus, Jesus really found us. You know, either we're Matthew or we're Zacchaeus. Matthew was a tax collector, the one who wrote this book. He's also called Levi. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that Matthew's just minding his own business one day being a a tax collector. First century Rome. A Jewish tax collector would have uh, been been looked down upon, alienated from his people, seen as a as a crook, as a as a as a thug, a, one who worked on behalf of the, the government, but who kind of schemed off the top. Matthew wasn't searching for Jesus. Matthew stumbled upon Jesus and Jesus became his greatest treasure. Or perhaps you're like Zacchaeus, who who was a tax collector as well but who knew that there was something broken in him. And one day he heard about this man named Jesus of Nazareth who who gave the blind sight and opened deaf ears and and touched lepers and their skin was healed. And he heard that Jesus was passing through his town and the Bible said he climbed a a, a tree and, and he looked for Jesus and Jesus saw him and he repented and turned to him because he found this great treasure. See, when you, find, when you find this treasure, when, when God opens your eyes, when God gives you eyes to see and, and ears to hear and, and a heart to accept the, the message of the kingdom, it reorients everything about you. It affects your head, your heart, and your hands. And true disciples are not people who are just in the crowd, who are just infatuated with Jesus, who just want to see his silhouettes. True disciples are those who have had their lives turned upside down, and they have realized that they have received the greatest treasure that there is to receive by faith through grace. And Jesus is calling us here to have a a kingdom mentality in light of this treasure, in light of this pearl that we have found. (laughs) Two weeks ago, in the morning service, I preached a a sermon and in my introduction, I actually used uh, Kobe Bryant. And after leaving our second service, my phone began to blow up as multiple people from the church just texted me and said, had you heard the news and sent me links? And I found out that, that Kobe Bryant had, had died in a horrific helicopter crash along with uh, eight other individuals, one being his uh, daughter, uh, affectionately known and called a Gigi. Tragedy. Tragedy hit. Kobe's been in in my life, so to speak, uh, uh, from a distance, from afar, and many of yours since 1996, 1999 is really when he came into prominence. And so it, it hit us as a nation. And in the subsequent weeks, we've heard story after story about Kobe's commitment to basketball, to his family, and to the arts. But I've always been fascinated about something that Kobe calls his mamba mentality. His nickname as a basketball player is called the, the Black Mama. He has this mentality, this, this kind of second uh, gear where he uh, sees himself like a, a snake, like a, a, a pathon. And, and, and he has this, this attitude or this edge that, that just says, I, I'm not going to quit until I succeed. The Mamba mentality. And I've been reminded of a number great, of great stories from Kobe's life over the past week's that exude this mentality. One is uh, the story of how Kobe hurt his, uh, tore his Achilles in a basketball game, which by the way is one of the most painful injuries a person can have. And many times when a person tears their Achilles, it's assumed that they, if they come back, they won't be the same player. In the middle of the game, you see Kobe is, is crippled. He's holding his Achilles. He gets up. He goes into the timeout, the coach wants to take him out so he can go to the locker room, he refuses to. He comes and he steps up to the free throw line, shoots his free throws and then checked out. When a reporter asks, why did you shoot those free throws? He said, because I understand the rule. If I don't shoot my free throws after being fouled, I can't come back in the game and my hope is, is that I will be able to come back in the game. This man had a torn Achilles, mamba, mamba mentality dedicated to basketball there's this clip of him just talking about his love for the game and in the clip he talks i mean he just starts waxing eloquent about basketball he starts talking about the ball and he remembered the first time he touched the ball and he started talking about just the feel of the leather and and how it sounded when it hit the hardwood and you could just see him almost in this this worshipful moment just talking about how much he loved and he treasured basketball but then my favorite story is the Disney story. Vanessa told Kobe, listen, we're going to Disney World, and I need you to be ready every day at nine o'clock to take us. Which means that you're gonna to have to sacrifice working out in the morning because we're gonna be at Disney at nine. And Kobe said, Yes, ma'am. And the story is told that Kobe uh, found the best trainer that he can find, an hour away, an hour away from Disney would get up every morning at 4 a.m., drive to the gym, work out from 5 to 8, get dressed, drive back, and be ready to take his kids to Disney. Mamba mentality. And I've been listening to these stories, and I was reading this 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 week, and I started thinking about Kobe's mamba mentality, and I started thinking about how how Jesus has called his disciples not to have a mamba mentality, but a, a kingdom mentality. I started thinking about how Jesus was teaching his disciples these, these, these radical teachings saying that no, when, when God has, has intervened in your life, when he's regenerated you, when he's given you a new heart, when he's opened your eyes, the, the kingdom becomes your first priority. You reorganize, you reorient your whole entire life around his kingdom and his king. That's why Jesus says stuff like this, hey... If anyone's going to come after me, he must hate his mother, his father, and his sisters and brothers if they're going to follow me. Kingdom mentality hey seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else will be added unto me kingdom mentality let me tell you about a man who found a, a treasure buried in the field and and if pawn finding his treasure he reburied it and he went and he sold everything that he had in order to, to buy the field let me tell you about a, a merchant who was in search for, for some pearls and he found the finest of all the pearls and he went back and sold everything that he had so that he can buy that pearl he reoriented his It's like kingdom mentality. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Jesus was preaching to crowds of people, understanding that everybody in that crowd didn't have a kingdom mentality because everybody in that crowd wasn't truly following him. Following Jesus costs. And Jesus constantly preached, consider the costs. No man goes into war without considering how much it's going to cost. No one builds a house without considering how much it's going to cost. Consider the cost. Following me isn't, isn't something that you just deal with happenstance or, or circumstance. No, those who have good soil, those who have hearts that are receptive for the kingdom are those who recognize that they are going to give up something and they sacrifice for it. And the motivation of that sacrifice is, is Jesus is the fact that he sacrificed for you. Is the fact that he left heaven, so to speak, in order to find a, 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 a treasure called the church that was buried. And he gave up his own law, life in order to purchase her. There's another guy who had a kingdom mentality, and his name was Paul. Philippians chapter 3, Paul just goes haywire. He just goes, just goes crazy. He starts reflecting on who he used to be and who he is now, what he used to treasure and what he treasures now. He says, listen, man, I'm, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I'm from the tribe of, of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew. I, I kept the Jewish law to its, its strictest command. I was zealous and harshly persecuted the church as for righteousness i was without fault yo i was dope i was as moral as they come verse seven and i once thought that these things were valuable but now i consider them worthless because of what christ has done Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting everything else as garbage, as dung, as trash, so that I could gain Christ and become with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith I want you to know. What you want us to know, Paul? What you want us to know? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. This is the kingdom mentality. The kingdom mentality says, I don't value anything over Jesus Christ. My love for Jesus makes my, my genuine care and love for anything and everything else seem like hatred. That's what he said. He who does not follow hate mother, hate brother, hate. Now, we know that's hyperbole, but he's saying our love for God is so intense and so pure and, and so radical that my genuine love for everyone else, there's a huge, huge separation. And it's this love for God that enables me to love everyone else. Paul says, I gave up my, my ethnic identity compared to my love for Jesus is, is, is far separation. My educational pedigree compared to what I found in Jesus is like garbage. My intellectual proudlessness compared to, to Jesus is garbage. And Jesus is calling us as disciples to, to, to reconsider what we are treasuring to reconsider where we are finding our identity and to ask ourselves, are we living with this kingdom mentality? Is Jesus and his kingdom everything to you? Is he everything to you? Well, how do I know if he's everything, Pastor Jamal? I'm glad you asked. Let's just do a quick survey, uh, some, answer some quick questions as it's as, as as important that we have a healthy examination and that we, uh, that we do this often. And let's just think about this last week and let's ask ourselves these questions. As you think about this last week, where uh, uh, did your mind go during times of solitude when you didn't really have anything specific to think about? Whatever that answer is, that might be what you are treasuring. Was it your comfort or your lack of comfort that you're receiving? Was it gaining respect from others or love from others? Was it your your career, that vacation? Where did your mind constantly and effortlessly go? What do you find yourself fantasizing about? Habitually worrying about, if you follow that cord of worry uh, to, to the end, uh, you'll see perhaps what you are treasuring. What would cause you to, if you lost it, to jump off of a bridge because you, you, couldn't, you wouldn't want to live anymore? That's probably what you're treasuring. And Jesus' invitation for us is to, to treasure him. It's to treasure him. Well, Pastor Jamal, I'm treasuring him. You, you know, I'm, I'm treasuring him, Pastor. I, I really am. Are you? But you're, you're still sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are you treasuring him as Lord? No, 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 Pastor. C, yes. But I, I, I'm, I'm treasuring him. I like, like, I'm tre- I, I, I treasure Jesus, you know, I do you? But you, you never make sacrifices to, to, to fellowship with other believers? You you never seek opportunities to grow as a disciple, to, to pray? You, you seldom come to, to community group? Pastor, stop playing. You know, you know I treasure Jesus. Do you? But you spend more money on, on, on coffee uh, each week than you do on, on kingdom? pastor you know i trust but your life is marked by greed and self-centeredness and and habitual intentional sinning do you and you haven't submitted your sexuality your personality to Him. do you treasure jesus have you found this pearl why are you using jesus Jesus said, listen, those who treasure me, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, are those who have that that one eye towards the kingdom. Those who who, who treasure me are those who are poor in spirit. They come to me with a poverty of spirit, not with arrogance. And thinking that, that just because they know some verses, know Hebrew, know Greek, know, know some things and, and been, been in church for a long time that they're that, that they all right. Those who treasure me are those who come to me for their righteousness, who come to me for their identity. Those who treasure me are those who are hungering and thirsting for more of me, who are counting everything else in their life as dung compared to him. And I I just hear the voice of of Elijah today uh, in my ear in 1 Kings chapter 18 when he asked Israel, he said, how long will you stand in between two opinions? I I, I just hear the voice of of Joshua in Joshua 24 saying, "As as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I just, I just hear the, the voice of James uh, today saying, double-minded, you are unstable in all of your ways. Repent, turn, trust, and live for the one who lived and died for you. We see that Jesus, after telling these two parables and showing us how precious and and and, and 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 costly this kingdom is though it is is free it's not cheap it, it costs jesus his his life to be to be our king to be our lord that 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 it, he ends this with a stark warning look at verse 47 he's going to show us that the kingdom of heaven won't include everyone who says that they belong Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. When we talk about kingdom of heaven, what are we talking about? We're talking about God's rule. God's rule. God's rule. God's reign is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see in verse 42 a couple parables. Before, Jesus is going to make the same emphasis. emphasis. Verse 42, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. So, Jesus preaches a hard word. A word that some of us want to, to dance our way out of as modernists or per, postmodernists, we want hell to disappear. We're, we're too uh, uh, obviously that's not what Jesus meant. Hell, there's, there's, there, they, they, it can't really be for for people. This was something that Jesus was using. These were metaphors in order to get their attention. Their uh, God wouldn't really throw people into a, a blazing furnace for, for all eternity, right? I mean, we're past that, right, Pastor Jamal? Well, the book of Matthew talks about hell quite a bit. And Jesus talked about this after giving this incredible picture of the kingdom um, and how beautiful it is, like a, a, a beautiful pearl or like a, 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 a treasure, in order to warn his disciples that in the kingdom of heaven, there will be people who say that they are disciples, but they are not. And just like everything that is in a garage is not a car, everyone who says that they are Christian, who says that they are disciple, is not. And how do you know that a person has become a disciple of Jesus Christ? It is because when you look at the whole of their life, You see a person whose life was centered on Jesus, not themselves. When you look at the whole of a person's life, you see that Jesus was their treasure. Though imperfectly and though there's going to be some valleys and though there's going to be some dark times, that when you look at a person's life, you see that they love Jesus. And How do you know that a person loves Jesus? If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. Obedience. And works do not save us, but they do verify that we have been saved. They are fruit of a changed life, fruit of an abiding life. And if you are saying that you are a disciple of Jesus, that you are a Christian, but you are habitually, intentionally, flagrantly, disobeying jesus you are comfortable with your sin you are comfortable with your struggles you are not uh, uh, going to fight them you are giving in i want to warn you that you are being self-deceived and if your life is marked by this on that last day you will hear the lord say depart from me i never knew you It's tight, but it's right. And so what should be our response? Our response should be to turn to Jesus, no matter where we are. No matter whether we feel like we're in a season of, of of blessing and and fruitfulness with them or if we're in a a, a season of, of darkness and and habitual struggle we all should get on our face to get on our knees and to to praise Jesus for saving us for allowing us to to come into his invisible hidden kingdom by grace through faith we all should be encouraged today to to re uh, uh, consider what we're tr- what we are are treasuring and to repent in the areas where we see that we are putting before God and his kingdom we should run to him run to, to the father like the, the prodigal ran to the father we should run to him knowing that he is there longing to be near us jealous for the spirit that is within us draw near to me and I will draw near you says the spirit of the Lord fight apathy fight complacence fight doubt Doubt your doubts and run to Jesus. and Find, find grace. I can't say it any clearer. Accepting sin, becoming comfortable with it, with disobeying Jesus is dangerous. It binds, it blinds, and then it grinds. Treasure Jesus. Treasure the one who came 42 generations for you. Treasure the one who, though is fully God, who did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Treasure the one who, though he was was fully God, limited himself to to flesh and blood, became a baby. Treasure the one who lived a sinless life. Treasure the one who went down that Via Dolorosa, that road of sorrow for you. Treasure the one who went to Golgotha's hill who was stretched wide, hung high, and dropped low. Treasure the one who defeated death and who rose with all power in his hands. Seek to live to know that resurrecting power. Treasure the one who ascended unto heaven and who is now seated on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. Treasure the one who said, I go to prepare a, a place for you and I am soon to return. Treasure the one. Who has a future set for you of no more crying, no more tears, no more, no more brokenness. Treasure the one who says, lay up your treasure not on earth where rust and moth can destroy, but in heaven where neither rust or moth destroys. Treasure the one who said that I have given you all that you need for life and for godliness. Treasure the one who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Treasure the one who said, abide in me and let my words abide in you, and whatever you ask, it shall be given. You you need strength, just ask, it will be given. You need wisdom, just ask, it will be given. You need comfort, just ask, it, it will be given. Treasure him, the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. Treasure him. treasure him. And if you can't treasure him, say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to treasure you. And every Sunday we gather together and we take a meal to remind us of why we treasure him and how much he treasured us. Jesus said, as often as you take this meal, you, you take it in remembrance of me. You proclaim my death, my death, which, which proves my love for you. We take bread, we break it, we drink wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Here at Sojourn, we, uh, we dip it in the wine or juice. Uh, again, the wine is marked by twine. And we do this week in and week out. We do this week in and week out. This is a gift that God has given us to slow down, to examine our hearts, to make sure that we are remembering the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ came to die for sinners and that he rose and it is in his resurrection that we have life. And one day in the new kingdom, we will eat and sup with him. Those of you in the front, you can go to the front. Those in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free, alcohol-free communion is to my left. Christian, as you come uh, to eat, to let, us, let us do this together. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you not to partake in this meal. Um, there will also be other people who are Christians who are not partaking in this meal because they want to use that time uh, to, to work out some things that's going on in their own heart. It's no judgment. Just just allow the cup to pass and to think about what you heard. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash midtown.